With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. The HN Podcast, I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. No Iowa game to talk about this week as the Hawkeyes had a bye, but a lot of work being done in Iowa City. And Steve, we talked about something last week where, you know, Iowa's making it harder on themselves with their their challenges on the scoreboard in points. And they've had a great defense during much of the Kirk Ferentz era. Norm Parker, Phil Parker, a, a much better defense, I think, than sometimes their ultimate record would indicate because of their challenges on offense and how if they just get that extra three to four points per game, it, it makes what the opposition, the decisions the opposition um, has to make whether they're coming down to kick a field goal to win or tie or having to come down and kick a touchdown and a two-point conversion tie or a two-possession game late. We talk about those things, and um, you dug your head into some statistics during this bye week, so we want to continue this discussion. Yeah, I think, you know, and I see this in my day job too. It, it's, it's one thing to point out when something's wrong. And then a lot of times people are like, well, then what's your solution? Well, in this case, you know, if we knew the solution, we'd be making the money Kirk Ferentz is currently making. Right. You know, and and I also think I did this this week as a Michigan fan. I think it always when you think that when you when you are convinced emotionally and emotion's not always wrong, by the way. But when you're convinced emotionally of something because of what you have experienced as a fan, even a knowledgeable one to be true, it's usually pretty good to go back and watch the last game where you thought you had which gave you that emotional reaction that you're like, oh, we did this again or this was wrong. But to watch it with the outcome already determined and to watch it more clinically just to make sure anecdotally that or, or that, you know, in terms of actual data, that it lines up with your emotion and anecdotal experience. And that'll be something we'll talk a lot about today on the or this week on the Bigger Ten podcast. Well, I did that this week with Iowa. And, you know, because on one hand, people could just say, well, you know, uh, no feces, Sherlock. It'd be great if Iowa scored another three or four points per game. How do we get there? And, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about that last week. And when you have the an offense in Iowa that tends to be hit or miss, uh, you know, and we talked last week, eight of Iowa's last 12 games against FBS competition, uh, they have scored, uh, or I'm sorry, against Power 5 conference competition, they've scored uh, 21 points or fewer. And that just what that does to your margin for error, um, you know, probably can't be uh, overestimated for, uh, for analytics. So the, the typical response would be to go back and look at Iowa's games 
and look at where points were left on the field offensively, where they didn't uh, execute in the red zone or a certain play call on a third and three was too conservative. I mean, the, and, and th- by the way, those things, just because the average fan spots them doesn't mean they're wrong, but you need to look at what the actual data says to say, hey, am I asking my team to be something they're not? Or does the data show that my team is really underachieving in that era area? So I went and looked at Iowa's – I took a deeper look at Iowa's analytics. And here's what I found. Iowa's right now offensive uh, efficiency is 50th in the country. That's not great. It's also not terrible. And it's, it's the sort of efficiency, um, especially when you look at who Iowa has played so far. They've played their in-state rival. They've played, um, who's not off to a great start, but has played competitively in every game this season, including against Oklahoma, that a lot of people think is a playoff team. They played, uh, who a lot of people think is the best team in the MAC. They played, uh, a, you know, a team that a lot of people thought going into this season was the best team in the Big Ten. So 50th offensively in efficiency. I, I don't know what those numbers are minus the Northern Iowa game. I would guess. Maybe it'd be around just looking at Iowa's overall numbers. Probably those numbers go up into the low to mid-60s, which still, when your defensive efficiency is 11th, which is obviously outstanding, when your defensive efficiency is 11th and your offensive efficiency is around 60 or so against FBS competition, you should be able to manage it to, to get those 24 points you need. And that's where Kirk Ferentz... I know fans don't like hearing it, but that's where those LOEs do come in. That's where the, that, that the lack of executions there are a factor. And so I don't know, you know, given the youth Iowa has in its offensive line, given the lack of explosiveness it has on the outside, which is a perennial issue, given, you know, you're still breaking in new tailbacks this year. You know, I, I don't know that this is, this has, you know, I, I, uh, and those scheme Iowa plays, all those factors, probably not likely you're going to jump from 60th to 30th in the country in offensive efficiency. Is there some improvement that could be made there for leaving points on the field? Yes. But if I were on the Iowa coaching staff, John, and I were doing the self-scouting during this bye week, I'm going to look at the area where I think in season we can make the most dramatic improvement. Um, and when your special teams – are 113th in the country in in efficiency. Given the way Iowa plays, the way that it plays to its defense, the way it plays the field position game, you know, I, I hate to go all Gandalf, but that can't stand, brother. I mean, you you can't. Iowa is, I don't care how soft the schedule is the rest of the way. Iowa is not going 11-1 and one or 10-2 and two with the way it plays football. With the way it plays football with special teams that are 113th in the country in efficiency, that to me is the number one area I'd be looking at where I'm leaving those three or four points in the field and I could put myself in position where I'm not giving up field position on muffed punts uh, or poor decisions about whether or not to, uh, to take a punt inside the 10 or uh, you know, <laughs> blocks in the back. And I'm losing the long field position war, given the style of play Iowa plays. Like, I don't know, I, you know, given the way um, the, the way Oklahoma plays offense, 
I don't know. You know, nobody wants to be 113th in the nation in special teams efficiency. Nobody does. But I think it means less to Oklahoma than it does to Iowa because of the style of offense that Oklahoma plays and who they have sitting there at quarterback, first Baker Mayfield, and now a number one pick in the Major League Baseball draft. At Iowa, that is poison. I mean, that, that is, that's, that's injecting toxin into your own veins. And that's making it a lot harder to win football games against quality competition when your special teams are underperforming that poorly. Yeah, and that's interesting. I wouldn't have expected Iowa's special teams ranking to be that bad. I, I look at there, – there are obviously multiple phases. Colton Rastetter, he has punted the ball 13 times this year for an average of 43.7 yards per punt. Six of those have been downed inside the 20. Um, There was the one punt block. I think it was what the first punt of the season in the opening game that was blocked there. But besides that, he's probably, we're talking about plus seven to eight yards of field position in his improvement from last year to this year thus far. So that's much better. Kyle Gronaweg, number 14, the return man, obviously didn't have the type of game he wanted to have against Wisconsin. But I'm, I'm incredibly excited that he's back there returning punts. Frankly, I would sign up right now for him to return punts for the next four years if I could, but he's a senior. And that game was uncharacteristic of him. The, the fumble that he had after a 20-some yard return game was a bit fluky. The Iowa player, you know, touching the ball. There was a lack of communication there. I certainly don't blame Sean Byer at all. Um, that was a bit fluky, and that set up seven points for Wisconsin. Obviously, you don't want to have that, and that's a communication error. But I, I don't know that that's a general overall special teams, you know, uh, systemic malaise. Um, obviously, the next punt after that, Gronaweg fair caught inside his five. I think he just needs to shake that game off. Miguel Racino's is five of eight on field goals this year. Um, I believe one of them was blocked, which is not his fault. Missed a couple of other ones, including one from 50 yards. Um, and as far as uh, kicks and, and touchbacks are concerned, if I can find that, yeah, he's Miguel Racino's um, 14 touchbacks out of 21 kicks. Iowa's uh, return. Return game average in the kickoff returns, I think, is very, very good in the conference. But try and find that real quick. Uh, opponent kickoffs, Big Ten. Yeah, I was, you know, I was doing a great job. So I'm not sure what those rankings are ranked on. But Iowa's obviously self-inflicted wounds against Wisconsin, and that's really the game that we're talking about. That was the game, in my opinion, for the season to probably set how high this can fly. To me, Steve, I think the biggest improvement, realistically is getting the football to playmakers in space on offense. Think back to that Wisconsin game again. Two times Iowa was in a short yard situation. Two times they motioned Noah Fant out wide when he lined up on the line of scrimmage to begin with. And in both of those instances, both of them, the Iowa had one-on-one coverage with Noah Fant against the defensive back with a ton of space to where an inside move, an inside release on a slant, which is indefensible more often than not, and certainly so when you got a six foot four all American tight end with his ability, I think it's indefensible if it's thrown right. What did Iowa do? They stayed with the quarterback sneak against a 360-pound nose tackle, Wisconsin's best defender, and they got stuffed. The other time they ran an outside pitch 
to Ivory Kelly Martin, and Wisconsin's linebacker made an All-American style play, knifing through the block, bringing down the running back with one arm. In neither instance did they go to Fant. To me, that's part and parcel of what Iowa's offensive problem is. Get the ball to the playmakers that you have and stop running into a wall with the outside zone when the inside zone is averaging six-plus yards per carry all season long. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I think in terms of, in general, alignment, outside zone against a 3-4 team, you're already, in terms of alignment, putting yourself at a bit of a disadvantage because the way that they are spread out, um, it, it, it makes it harder for, you know, it, make, it, it, it makes it easier for them to seal the edge just the way that they are aligned in that sort of a defense. Um, and typically, you know, teams, when they attack three, four defenses in the NFL, you see, like I watched with my Lions and the Cowboys yesterday, you saw a lot of Ezekiel Elliott running between the tackles to try to create mismatches with combo blocks and double team blocks where there's that open gap there with the lack of a defensive lineman as opposed to running outside. So I agree with you on that. You know, colleges and universities, they're full of traditions, both official and unofficial. Game Day Prep is the product of two college football fans that gives other fans an alternative to the typical apparel found in your school store. At GameDayPrep.com, you can find unique tradition-inspired hats, shirts, and more to help you support your favorite team. Game Day Prep, for the true fan, visit GameDayPrep.com. How many more three fronts is Iowa going to face this year, though? Nebraska, if, I mean, are they even still? Nebraska does it. Minnesota, Nebraska. Indiana, Maryland, Penn State, Purdue, Northwestern, and Illinois. I don't know that there are any true three, four man fronts in that mix. And I think those teams that you just mentioned physically, uh, you know, Purdue's got some de- some decent players up front, um, but the rest of those teams you mentioned physically, I, I don't think could could can beat Iowa in the trenches, whether it's a four man or a three man front. I agree with you on that. You know, um, I still think, though, when you've whenever you've played four games this year and, and let's keep this in mind, too, that we're self scouting four games into the season because of an early bye week. Right. So I don't I, I we, you don't want to overreact to things and you don't want to underreact. Right, to them. Right. You just want to react because things might look a lot different four weeks from now. OK, here's what we do know, though. Iowa's played four games. One of them was against an FCS team, all four of them at home. And they've already had two kicks blocked and, and special teams cost them the biggest game they're probably going to play this season. Yeah, so that's, true. that's an issue. Whether Now, your case that their overall numbers seem to indicate that the trend line is this is not a systemic thing that um, that that, th- that with those overall fundamentals you'll regress to the mean and fans when they hear that always think regression to the mean means always a negative well sometimes it means a positive meaning guys are just like you had to know at some point Tom Brady was going to have a great fantasy game he's not going to suck three weeks in a row right well you got it this week okay so regression in the mean sometimes can mean a positive too oh, yeah return ret- yeah too far negatively right yeah a, re- a return to the mean a is probably better because yeah, regression is always bad you're right Correct. so so your argument that their overall special teams numbers when you look at the outside of those two kick blocks and that one and a series of meltdowns against wisconsin that those are numbers much more in line with how iowa typically plays and therefore i wouldn't overreact to that i think has merit i also wouldn't dismiss it either because you haven't right. played any games on the road yet either yeah and, and we're talking about incredible gaffes against wisconsin which can almost fall into the line you know um you know 
other than that, how was the play, Mrs. Lincoln? I mean, you yeah. you you didn't deliver in the biggest game of your season, and that's what cost you the game. So I won't poo-poo that either, um, but maybe just because of how bad Iowa's special teams were a year ago. I mean, Kyle Gronaweg just his if if he if he's only fair catching everything Iowa is ahead this year in field position on punts because they had a really tough time last year fielding punts which allowed balls to drop and pretty much you go 10 to 15 yards when the ball hits the ground and you don't field it you're going to lose 10 or 15 more yards and mm-hmm. Gronaweg has done a fantastic job this year of fielding punts um, and being fearless. So that's been an improvement. And, of course, the field position on Iowa's punts has been an improvement. And when you have the defense like this, and really it comes down, I think, another point, Steve. We talked about that schedule. And I, I, Iowa has a market advantage. And their defensive front seven, or really it's to say that their defensive line, against everybody else on their schedule with the exception of Penn State. A, a, a significant now Indiana's offensive line's pretty salty we'll give them that but they're not Wisconsin's offensive line they're different they're they're more lithe they're they're not road graders and you're going up against a more lithe defense that's very active so I'm incredibly optimistic about what Iowa's ultimate record's going to be but man you get you got a big test coming up in, in four more weeks against Penn State and that team certainly looks pretty darn salty but uh, it's going to be it's still going to be hard for me to shake some of the cobwebs away from the blown opportunity because as I sit here and look at the rest of the schedule I don't want to sound like some elitist snob fan saying well it doesn't matter because they lost to Wisconsin I mean maybe Maybe they can run the table and Wisconsin loses twice and they can get back, but that means you got to win in Penn State, and I don't think that that's very likely. But it just – it's crazy to stay, say, Steve, at 10-2, and two, I'll still probably think what could have been had they beat Wisconsin. I don't think it's crazy to say at all, and, and I think that's a good segue to what I wanted to ask you about next anyway. The line – you know, we had this two weeks ago with Michigan State-Indiana, and yeah. Michigan State opened up only a four-and-a-half-point favorite in Indiana. And I I told you then that if this were a month into the season, I would consider that a trap line where they are big, begging you to take Michigan State. But it's still early enough in the year that it can't – sometimes it's not a trap. Sometimes they're just wrong, okay? The line this week, when I looked at all the preliminary lines for uh, week five or, or week six of college football, the line that I just had – I thought I was way off on assuming what it was going to be is Iowa opening up a three- or four-point favorite at Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota's down to one playmaker with with both running backs are gone, their best defensive player gone. They were one of the youngest teams in our league to begin with. I, I think there's something like uh, 40-some-odd guys uh, that are, I think, 40-some-odd guys in their two deep are first- or second-year players in our league. You know, um, you know there's going to be a ton of Iowa fans there. Freshman quarterback against Iowa's defense where, you know, we have seen for years now, Big Ten, there haven't been a lot of Big Ten quarterbacks that can make that seam throw against Iowa's defense uh, that they force you to make a living off of, and that's why they win a lot of games in the league. I looked at that line. I thought my, my estimation was Iowa would be a 10-point favorite. And I thought that was being somewhat friendly to Minnesota 
coming off a bye as well, being at home. When I saw that game around a field goal, John, I don't know what you thought. It shocked me when I saw that line. Yeah, I was surprised as well. And I don't know if it's, I mean, typically Vegas isn't that wrong. As certainly, I mean, both of these teams have played just four games, and you see the the personnel losses that Minnesota has had to keep playmakers on both sides of the ball. And as you mentioned, with that freshman quarterback, I whether it's a trap or not, I know what my fifteen point game is going to be this week. And boy, maybe it's just Iowa's penchant, seemingly for allowing teams to play close based upon what we just spent the first 15 minutes of this podcast talking about. And that's the inability for their offense to come out and consistently uh, consistently execute and take advantage of the opportunities they have and, and make turn threes into sevens and punts into threes. And until they do that consistently, perhaps their lines can get skewed but it doesn't seem like vegas would make this much of a mistake because it went from three to six and a half in 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 an hour in an hour everybody jumped on that line yeah and that early money are what we call sharps or they call out in vegas respectable betters which means a lot you know i think people don't understand how much how one-sided or how much money or how prominent the money the wager has to be to move a line that much in 24 hours in the middle of a season, all right? Normally, you see that in May when the game of the year lines come out. And, you know, we saw this the first day, right, Memorial Day weekend, when they brought up the first game of the year lines for this season, and they made Notre Dame a seven-point favorite. And in, within an hour and a half, it had been bet down to Notre Dame minus one because all the pros walked in there and bet the max on it. And then Notre Dame ended up winning the game by seven. So they were right anyway. But in the middle of the season, it's really hard that fast to move a, a line like that because if there was an injury or something, they, there wouldn't be a line on the game. And so I think that indicates a lot of pros are like, whoa, you guys are way off on this one. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not a typical Floyd of Rosedale game. Minnesota's a really beat-up team. The Iowa's coming off a bye, too. Because when I look at this game, um, I don't see a matchup in this game that favors uh, that favors Minnesota. I don't. I, I, to me, Iowa's got, it, Iowa's got at least be minus three in turnovers, I think, to lose this game. Yeah, I think you're right, and I think that that's how I see it. So huh, it, it is it is very, very weird. And it did, to move a line that much that early in the week, though, I mean, doesn't it take less money since there haven't been any wagers on it just yet? Isn't there a balancing of, of the total handle on a game? It depends on who it is. It depends on who it is. That, that, that's why I think it, you, you have to look at the prominence of that's That tells you the public doesn't bet on a game on a Sunday night or a Monday morning. Right. The public always bets on a game later in the week, okay? And so the guys who are there on Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, are, Sunday, are, are, the, are the pros that live in Vegas that are sitting there at a sports book. I was just going to say that, yeah. Waiting for the opening lines to come out on the ones that their algorithms or their hunches tell them, this is, these are the lines that they're way off on, and they jump on them right away. That's who is moving those lines that early, the pros. Yeah, because everybody else just jumped on a plane at noon, hung over, going back yes. to their lives and their jobs, waiting for the next wave of people to arrive on Wednesday afternoon and Thursday for the next weekend's game before they go in and walk into a sports book and plunk down their, you know, their uh, their chump money. Yep, you're exactly right, yes. 
even though I've never done any of that. We just know how it's done. Um, that'll do it for this installment of the HN Podcast. Coming up in the Bigger 10 Podcast, I, I think you'll want to listen to it. Um, there are just some weird things going on with the Nebraska football program. And if you're a Nebraska fan listening to this, um, you know, I, I won't lie. There, I, I've somewhat had some satisfaction. That's probably not the right word. Entertainment, let's just say, of seeing some floundering the last few years. But when it comes to us doing these podcasts, I try to do it straight and, and give objective analysis. And there's, there's some things I saw this weekend that really, if I'm a Husker fan, which I'm not, but if I was going to pretend to be one, I'd be a little concerned. And, and Dace, I think, I don't want to speak for him here, but I think he's spotted something that he's concerned about too. And, and this is not an empty tease. We're going to lay it all out for you. That will come up in the Bigger Ten podcast, which drops the same time. We drop this for Steve. I'm John. We'll talk to you then.